So I want to start with a confession. I am not the sharpest tool in the shed. I took an IQ test one time and it came back negative. <laughs> Someone challenged me to a battle of wits and they gave up because they realized I'm an unarmed man. <laughs> of course, somebody told me one time that I had street smarts. Sesame Street smarts. <laughs> but you know, the reality is, is I am so dumb, it takes me 20 minutes to cook minute rice. <laughs> but I know this about myself, and, and I embrace it. And because I know that I am not the brightest bulb, I repeat things to myself a lot. Maybe in the last 12 and a half years, some of you have noticed that I repeat myself over and over and over again. Things like, we are saved by grace through faith. Things like, I'm blessed. Things like, faith is trusting the promises of God for you in Christ. The kingdom of God is where what God wants done gets done. You are safe. And you are loved. And then... One of the ones that I repeat to myself most often, the better you know God, the more you will therefore love Him and trust Him. Know God better so that you will love Him more and you will trust Him more. Now, it just so happens, I think that there's a passage in Scripture that teaches exactly that. And I find it in Psalm 63, a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. This is what David writes. O oh God, You are my God. Earnestly I seek You. My soul thirsts for You. My flesh faints for You. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water, so I have looked upon You in the sanctuary, beholding Your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich foods. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down to the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God, and all who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped." Here is our psalm in one sentence. Earnest pursuit of God floods a reservoir of faith-building experience. This knowledge of God nourishes love for and trust in Him when traveling through the deserts of life. Therefore, pursue God earnestly. 
Now, if you're paying attention, you'll see some similarities to our emphasis in Psalm 130 from last week, where we said God loves a desperate heart. And the reason is because if you have a desperate heart, if you have come to the point in your life where you realize all the shiny things that are around you just can't measure up and give you the grace you need, then you will seek earnestly to know God better. Because you will know with that desperate heart that the better you know God, the more you will love Him. And the more you will trust Him. Here is the Bible's logic that we find written in short form in Psalm 63. You, Christian, can experience trust and have the hope that this trust gives right now right where you are, wherever you are, based upon how earnestly and fervently you have pursued God in the past. That's verses 1 and 2. And likewise, discipline pursuing God right now by remembering past grace sweetens sleepless nights. Verses 3 through 6. And finally, hope and future grace when experiencing trials and tragedy is enforced. It is developed by daily energetic pursuit of God now. Verses 7 through 11. Therefore, by the power of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God, pursue God earnestly, diligently, continually. Devote yourself to knowing God better where you are now. Wherever that might be. You might find yourself in the desert. You might find yourself in a quiet place. But devote yourself to knowing God better now because that is how you grow in your ability to love and trust Him. Now David's vehicle for doing this 3,000 years ago is the same as the car we will drive today. Worship. Worship. First and foremost, David's desert dirge is a hymn of worship. How did David worship? Note what he said. Diligently I seek you, verse 1. I exalt you, verse 4. I bless you, also, verse 4. I praise you, verse 5. I remember you, verse 6. I sing with ringing cry about you in verses 5 and 7. He says, I remain, I continually pursue after you, verse 8. And in verse 11, he says, I rejoice in you. Clearly, the big idea of this sermon is worship God. Because as you are worshiping God, you will therefore know Him better. And as you know Him better, you will love Him and trust Him more. Now I want you to note, as we are going through this psalm, that in each case, in each of our three sections, David reflects on God's faithfulness in the past, And what he does is he proclaims the resulting trust that he has gained because he has experienced God so that the people who are around him and the people who are reading him will be able to copy him and say, yes, David worshipped God. David worshipped God because he experienced him. And now that he's in the desert, he can still praise Jesus even though life is hot. 
Now, recalling God's faithfulness and proclaiming that faithfulness is worship. And as you refocus your heart, you're, you're, you're seeing the heat of the day. You're seeing your trials and your troubles. And it takes diligent effort to refocus not on what you're perceiving as attacking you, but refocusing it on God. And you say, God is what I am focusing on. That is worship. And as you're looking at Him, or as you're seeing your trials and your struggles through Him, you will know God better. And you will therefore love Him more. And you will trust Him more. Because you are worshiping your personal Creator King of the universe. Let's see how David's example, first of all, calls us to know God better. I'm going to read verses 1 and 2. David says, O God, You are my God. Earnestly I seek You. My soul thirsts for You. My flesh faints for You. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water, so have I looked upon You in the sanctuary, beholding Your power and glory. Now David obviously spent a great amount of time in the Lord's sanctuary. He was worshiping where God's people were when worshiping with God's people was available. And he had spent in this time worshiping a great amount of time and energy contemplating God's power and God's glory. But as you know, if you've lived very much time on this earth at all, training time ends and you need to get out on the field. Which is why, by the way, the church is called to gather together for corporate worship. For corporate worship with your family. Sunday morning church, and for us, Sunday evening church also, Sunday morning church is like an army barracks. You go to the barracks to get food. You go to barracks to get equipped and encouraged so that you can go back out into the desert and fight for the kingdom of God. That's what Sunday morning is supposed to be all about. So when David was later stuck out in the heat of the desert and he couldn't worship with God's people, he was away from the Lord's tabernacle, he could still remember he still recalled God's power and God's glory so that he was able not to focus on his trials and troubles and tribulations, but he was able to focus on God. Now, we Americans have given up a lot by not worshiping well. By there, there, there's something to be said about recognizing that you're in church as opposed to a concert. Now fortunately, here at Grace, we have taken a lot of steps towards worshiping our God. We do the New City Catechism. We do a prayer of confession. We do a scripture reading. And these help us to remember that worship is not about us. 
These go a long ways to help us to remember that worship is about the Lord. We must not forget who it is we are speaking with when we pray. Every once in a while, we ought to begin our prayers with Your Majesty. David did not have this problem common in the United States. He knew exactly with whom he spoke, and he worshipped his Creator King. And I am trying to constantly remind myself and us that we are supernaturalists. We don't understand how the worship works. I, I really don't. But this is what I know. I know that God has called us to worship Him and not my preferences, not the way I want things done, but Him. And when I do that, God blesses me. God blesses us. And we experience this blessing best corporately. What I mean to say is that worship is a means of grace. Worship is an opportunity to put ourselves in the path of God's blessing. Like a tomato plant that we soak up with water, we seek God's water. So that when we are in the desert, when we are in the heat of our trials and tribulations, we ourselves have a reservoir that is filled and we do not shrivel alongside the road and die. Instead, we bear fruit a hundredfold. Worship is any time, worship anytime is an opportunity to see God in the right light, whether we're in the sanctuary or we're in the desert. And when we do, we will see Him as powerful. We will see Him as glorious. And when we do, we will be able to go out into the dark. We will be able to go out into the desert and not doubt in the dark what we have seen in the light. Don't doubt in the dark what you've seen in the light. You know what I'm talking about. Those times that you're depressed. Those times that you're frustrated. And you're not sure if God is paying attention to you. Behold God's power and His glory so that you will not doubt in the dark what you have seen in the light. Just like you know your way to the toilet in the middle of the night because you've seen the path many times during the day, when you are in the desert spiritually, you must recall what you have found in the sanctuary. You must remember the God you learned about with your brothers and sisters gathered and in your quiet time. And in both circumstances, you will be able to know God better so that you will love Him and trust Him more. Now one easy way to do this is to sing. Worship through song because it teaches you the great truths of God's Word and therefore of God Himself. And remember, remember that when we get to the new kingdom or when we get to the eternal state, we will learn new songs. So my friends, don't be afraid to learn new songs on Sunday mornings. Here at Grace, 
We intentionally choose songs with good, solid lyrics that enable our souls to know God better so that we can sing them in our heads and our hearts when we're at home, when we're at work, when we're at the store. And we will be able to rehearse in these songs and bring glory to God because earn it, earnest, fervent, disciplined meditation on God's Word and His power and His glory displayed in it will strengthen you, will equip you, will feed you so that you will know and love and trust God in the desert. Because you will find nothing, and I mean nothing else in the world that will help you do that. So go to God's Word and His people soaked in His Word and think about how glorious and how powerful He is so that you will be able to take the next step that David exhorts us, and that is to love God more. Verses 3-6. through David says, Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. Now I have a question. What does it mean to bless God? Now, the New Testament helps clarify something that is hinted at in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, there are two words that are translated to bless. And one of these two words is always used only for a superior blessing and inferior. It's always someone up above, so to speak, blessing someone who's socially underneath or God blessing us. And that word is never used of man blessing God. Now there's another word that's translated to bless, and this one would be accurately translated to speak well of. And so when we human beings are blessing God, what the idea behind it is, is I am speaking well of God. So I tell you a story about His power displayed in my life or in the life of someone near me. I tell you a story of how God showed His glory and His magnificence. And, and so I tell you this, I am speaking well of God and you're able to see, wow, at least this guy knows how good God is. And I take it that when David is going through his desert experience, when he is experiencing the heat of his trial, it was probably this psalm was written after Absalom kicked him out of Jerusalem and David was wandering around in the desert of Judah. Don't know that for sure. I don't put a whole lot of stock in it. But that's probably what happened. And man, David was a man after God's own heart, it tells us in 1 Samuel 13 and in Acts 13. And I'm convinced that the reason 
God could say this about David is because of passages like this. And this Psalm 63 is an example of what is known as a vow of praise. The thought goes something like this. God, I am one of your worshipers. You know that I'm one of your worshipers because I have worshipped you among your people many times before. But God, right now, I'm going through the desert. Whatever trials or struggles or tribulations I'm going through. And God, you've got to bail me out on this. You've got to help me now so that I can praise you to your people in the future. Psalm, uh, experts on the psalm, commentators on the psalm call this a vow of praise. God, I need you to come through and I promise to give a great praise report to your people when you deliver me out of this trouble. Come to think of it though, our whole lives ought to be a good praise report. Amen? Now, I bet there are some of us Sunday school graduates in this room who are scoffing at this idea. We think, I would never be so crass with God to try to make a deal like this. But what I find interesting of that line of thinking is that it makes us out to be more spiritual than God. If we say, I would not be so crass with God as to make a deal like that, then we're ignoring the many Psalms that do exactly that, including Psalm 63. Furthermore, we are exhorted over and over and over again in both the Old and the New Testaments to remember. Google remember in the Bible and you will be amazed as to how often we are called to remember what God has done in the past so that we will have faith, we will have trust in His promises right now and into the future. But one of my favorite examples of this kind of idea, it's not exactly the same, but is very often in Scripture, we find men and women go through some bad situation. And they encounter Yahweh while they are going through this particular trying time. And what did they do? In each case, they gave God a name. They personalized their relationship to the Lord by giving Him a name. Hezekiah, for example, knew Yahweh who heals in Exodus 15.26. Both David and Ezekiel loved Yahweh my shepherd. For example, Ezekiel 34.2. Elkanah worshipped Yahweh of the armies of heaven, 1 Samuel 1.3. Moses told Israel to worship Yahweh, my banner, in Exodus 17.15. And my personal favorite of this is Rahab, who discovered Yahweh who sees. In Genesis 22.14. Now, I have said this before in sermons, and I have preached that one step of faith, one way to shine the light of Scriptures into your heart so that when you are going through the desert later, you will be able to see the power and glory of God is to meditate, to think through, to 
Use Scripture to view your life so that you can see where the Lord has worked. And then give Him a name. Give the Lord a name that reflects what you have gone through. And then have a party. Invite someone out to coffee. Pay for the coffee for them and sit down and drink your coffee and tell them, this is how I know the Lord. This is what I know of Him. And my favorite, there's no right answer to this, but my favorite is Rahab. You are Yahweh who sees. All those years before I became a Christian, none of that was wasted. The Lord saw and the Lord was with me then. Sorry, I can't buy you a bunch of coffee, but I can preach to you right now. (laughs) Though David doesn't use this exact naming system, the big idea is the same. Worship the God you know now. Worship Him now. Because you will go through the desert. And when you go through the desert, you want something to cling on to. You want Yahweh to cling on to. And as you do, you will know Him better. And you will find that remembering past grace sweetens sleepless nights. And this is exactly what David teaches in these center middle verses of the psalm. David is evidently fulfilling his vow of praise by writing this psalm. And then he invites some friends over for a barbecue. And then he sings this psalm so that they will be encouraged to trust him as well. But we also find that a part of the situation that David needed rescuing from involved sleepless nights. Anybody know anything about that? I could hear David, oh God, help me trust you and go back to sleep. Now I find myself, just about every single night, awake one or more times. I don't always do this, but I try to remember to do one of a couple things. I pray for whoever it is in my mind. And I believe that if someone's on my mind, God wants me to pray for that person. Sometimes it's someone in my family, sometimes it's someone I haven't seen for 10 years. And then I thank God for specific situations around me. And as I am the number two repenter in chief here at Grace, I confess I don't do it enough. But when I do, I grow. And in the middle of the night, I know God better so that I will love Him more and trust Him more. Remember, as you know God better, you will see His beauty more clearly and you will love Him for it. Then at the exact same time, you will also necessarily see that you can trust Him implicitly. You can take Him at His word. And you will trust Him more. Let me read verses 7-11. through For you have been my help, And in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God and all who swear by him shall exalt for the mouths of liars will be stopped. 
Now David, as we've said, made a vow of praise at some point when he was in trouble. And now, he, because he got bailed out of this trouble by the Lord, he celebrates that vow with his friends and he makes what scholars call a confession of trust. Now, okay, I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm about to say and hear my qualifications. Because the name it and claim it heretics who are out there have nothing in Scripture. And nothing I'm about to say has anything to do with that name it and claim it garbage. And there is a measure of truth to the idea that if you reinforce ideas in your mind by repeating them, especially by repeating them out loud, you cause them to be true in your heart. What do I mean by this? David reminds himself that God is his help. David reminds himself that he hides under God's wings, so to speak. He goes through five verses proclaiming that he trusts in Yahweh completely for every situation. And therefore, guess what? David trusts Yahweh. He is reinforcing in his mind and his heart the truth that is already there. David recognizes that nothing is beyond the control of Yahweh and therefore David is confident. Because God made us, God understands us body and spirit. God knows how we work and how we work best. So God uses David to pen one of the best pieces of poetry in history so that you and I could get the point. Reinforce true scriptural gospel thoughts so that as you go through the dark, hot desert, You will have, you will see, you will know the power and glory of God. Now this is nothing different than what we've already seen in the first two sections of Psalm 63. David is confessing reasons to trust God and in doing that he reminds himself he is remembering God better and as you know God better you will also love Him and trust Him more. And this is why we take the time and effort to memorize Scripture. We have direct, clear, accurate knowledge of God available to us 24-7. Take advantage of it. Now, by God's grace, that you are in the sanctuary, that you are among God's people, that you are not in the hot, dark desert. Take advantage of this so that you will know God better. Now I have a question. Does God want you to memorize Scripture? The answer is, I have another question. Is God able to give you the strength of body and mind to memorize Scripture? I have one more question. If you try to memorize Scripture and you fail, you're not able to quote it absolutely perfectly. Did you waste your time? No, you did not. Now, here it is. You will not know God better on your own strength. You need 
grace. You need God's power to accomplish what you cannot accomplish yourself. You need grace so that you will have God working in you what you can't do under your own power. And you need to go and do it. You need to be the one who puts you in the path of God's blessing. You need to be where God is watering the tomatoes, so to speak. So that you can have His blessing. So that you can know Him better and then love Him and trust you more. And what He will do as you put yourself in the means of grace that He has told us will bring this about. You will change your perspective. Instead of focusing on your trials and temptations, you will refocus. You will see God. And then what your enemies are doing will be unimportant. Then your circumstances that you wish could be changed will be less important then whatever it is that you think that you have to have most likely you will realize that it's just not that important and you will understand that hope that you have that you need in future justice will be developed by daily pursuit of him that justice might be because your enemies are attacking you. That justice just might be because you're missing something that you need. And my friends, this is good news for God's children. Whatever hurt someone has caused you, you are free from the death-dealing, worry-causing, friendship-wrecking, heart-polluting, mind-controlling, hatred-producing, love-sapping prison that will destroy you in every relationship you have. If you seek to know God earnestly, you will be released because you will be refocused on the one who can release you. So earnestly pursue, an earnest pursuit of God floods a reservoir of faith building experience and this knowledge of God nourishes love for and trust in him when you are traveling through the deserts of life therefore pursue God earnestly pursue God earnestly now and do it tomorrow when you're in the desert so that you will know him better and therefore love him and trust him more Lord Almighty give us grace to know you because without you working in us and through us, we have no chance. And God, I pray that you would give us, Lord Jesus, give us the diligence, give us the earnestness, give us the, the stick to to fight the temptation to give up so that we will know you better and therefore love you and trust you more. Bless us, Jesus, so that we will be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.